What's up, everybody? This is Chris Heron. Uh, we're here with the Ask PJ Braun podcast. Uh, you can find us over at iTunes, YouTube, uh, BlackstoneLabs.com, and SoundCloud. Uh, our release schedule, we're going to be doing this every Saturday. Uh, you're going to hear the audio files up, and then the video will be up on Mondays. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to get started here. Um, I'm with PJ Braun. What's up, everybody? Episode number three. Excited to be doing this. Some uh, brain busters in there this week. You guys have been uh, getting more serious with your questions each week. I like it. And uh, those of you that watch the YouTube uh, podcast can see that I'm sitting here. There is no dictionary or books or encyclopedias or internet. Uh, there is a stopwatch on my phone to remind myself to not talk too long. But outside of that, this is just what I got in this big old noggin of mine. So we're going to see if we can spew out some good information for you guys today. All right. We got a whole bunch of questions for you today. Uh, our first question is from Adam uh, McLeod. Not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, he says, what is your policy on dealing with offensive and abusive trolls for BSL? Is it straight block system? Has there ever been a situation where legal action was needed? Very, very simple. It's a straight block system. Um, we decided one day that we didn't want any negative stuff on our Facebook, on our Instagram. Um, so we have people that actually police it. So if you're trolling hard, you're going to get blocked, plain and simple. Every now and then I'll have fun with them first and I'll kind of like pick with a, pick with them, get them to go back and forth with me just, just for my own shits and gigs. But usually it's just a straight block system. Awesome. All right. So our next question is from Jason Topper. He says, what are your favorite or must-have supplements that BSL does not produce? So I have talked about various supplements that I, that I utilize on past episodes. So this is going to be the time that I want to do this for the, for the last time. So I'm going to run through it. This is my, uh, my, my regime that I do twice a day. This is my morning and night regime of, of supplements that I do no matter what. Okay. So I take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3 every morning. I do not do it at night. I do it with my, my first meal in the morning. I also do at that meal, one to two VSL number three, which is a very, very good probiotic. I do that meal. Uh, I do that at meal one. I also do that at my final meal. Okay. So usually take the brunt of my vitamins at meal one and then at my pre-bed meal. Um, and if you want me to elaborate on why I do that, it's simply because meal one is typically after uh, fasted cardio and or training, and I feel my body is is primed up to suck the nutrients in. I, I do it always with food. And then before you go to bed is probably where I'm going to have the, the longest period fasting. Um, so I think that it's good to have it in my system at that time as well. There, there are other things that you can take throughout the day, guys. You don't have to do it like this. This is just my schedule that makes it easy for me to not forget. I take liver care by Himalaya. I take two or three caps twice a day. I take Tudka, 200 to 300 milligrams twice a day. I take fish oils, 2,000 I use usually twice a day. I take ubiquinol, 200 I use. I usually do that twice a day. Um, I take lots of glutamine. I usually do 20 grams post-workout. I do five grams before bed. Sometimes if I have another shake, I'll throw another five grams in. Um, I take a B-complex every morning, a B-complex 100 that I get right at the vitamin shop. I take four grams of vitamin C a day. Sometimes I do it in a powdered form. The powdered form that I like is from Source Naturals. Uh, I take... Uh, there's so many things that I take, I'm, I'm not even remembering them all. I take a baby aspirin every morning for heart health. 
I take uh, Juiced Up every morning. That's a Blackstone Labs product. Now, we're not going to get into all the Blackstone Labs products. I, I do take Orthobiolic. I do take plenty of my products. A better question for the next podcast would be, which products do I not take from Blackstone Labs and why? Um, but uh, those are the non-Blackstone Labs products that I stand by. I'm a big L-carnitine tartrate guy. I take it before my cardio and before my training. Uh, and I experiment with, with many different things. But those those that I just listed, in my opinion, are the ones that are safe for everybody, both, both male and female, and they're great to take year-round. All right. Our second question from the same person is, a rule I have heard a lot is that you should have a meal or protein shake with, within about 20 minutes after a workout. How true is this rule? Well, the, the, the window or the anabolic window, as they call it, has been something that has been debated as bro science or actual science for, for a long time. Now, is it a 20-minute window? No. I believe that you have probably an hour to even 90 minutes to really utilize what you can get in post-workout. But here's something to think about. The variables that affect this are, are what you're doing as far as training and what your nutrition is. Because let's say you've depleted all your glycogen stores through a hard training session. Your blood sugar is going to be very, very low. So for that reason, yes, you would want to eat a meal. You would want to replenish the nutrients that, that your body lost. As a general rule of thumb for, for anybody that I've coached or worked with, I haven't gotten a position where I put somebody in a, in a you know, chokehold and said, you have to do it this way. But what I really prefer is a shake immediately after you work out. And when I say immediately, I, I'm talking within five minutes. And the shake is usually way isolate, depending on, on where the person is. Uh, they may be taking in some sort of fast digesting uh, carbohydrate pro product, like our Formula 19, um, BCAAs, glutamine, uh, things like leucine, things that are absorbed readily and immediately. And then I suggest 60 to 90 minutes later having an actual meal, having a real whole food meal. That way you're, you're, you're really maximizing what you can get absorbed at once because if you just sit and eat a meal right away, depending on what you eat, like let's say you ate a steak. I mean, that's going to be breaking down in your gut for a while. And I feel that you're doing your body a disservice by not flushing it with nutrients right away when your body's primed to suck things up. So is it 20 minutes? No, I think the sooner you do it, the better. But I think you probably have a solid hour, no problem. All right. And his last question is also, should someone eat a gram of protein per body weight that they want to be at or what they actually weigh? Uh, I have gotten this question so many times over the years, and there are there are different uh, conflicting studies on this. Now, there, there are studies that say you should do a gram uh, per kilogram of body weight for maintenance. Uh, there are studies that suggest you should do a gram per pound of lean body mass for maintenance. So this is something that really could be debated in many, many different ways. Because if you're 250 pounds, but you're at a very, very high level of body fat, and then we, 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 we do the calculations and find out that your lean body mass is actually 150 pounds, then realistically for maintenance, you would only need 150 grams of protein. Now, we could also do this where the formulation shows that you weigh 200 pounds and you have 175 uh pounds of lean body mass. So although you weigh far less than the other person, your protein requirements would be higher. But then we have to look at what are you doing as far as energy output 
and and taking your body through. Are you absolutely destroying yourself with two-hour workouts or do you not work out at all? The protein requirements are going to be different for the individual. I will tell you this. If you're just looking for an easy number, I'll make it very, very simple for everybody. If you do one gram of protein per pound of body weight, period, you're going to be eating more than enough protein. I can promise you that. So I weigh about 230 pounds. And I eat about 30 to 40 grams of protein per meal. And I eat typically five to six meals a day. So let's just say for math purposes, if I'm doing six meals times 30 grams, that's 180, okay? Now, you would say, wow, you're eating a lot less protein than I thought. Uh, But... I am maintaining my lean body mass pretty well, and I'm actually starting to make improvements again. But there are things like muscle maturity and years of training that are factored into this. When I was younger and I was very focused on growth, I made sure to get a surplus of one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Again, these can the, you can find lots of debate for, for these being simple fallacies online. And I also find that your metabolism is a key factor in this, your basal metabolic rate. So these are all different variables that affect that true number. All right. Our fourth question is a bit of a longer one. It's also in three parts. It's from Jeremy Creason. He says, "Please uh, first, please let me say thank you for your valuable time in making the podca- podcast. I have learned that I have to listen twice with a notepad to be able to learn everything you're teaching. And he says, he is 35 years old, that about six months ago, he tried taking and starting uh, and getting into working out. I was never a bodybuilder, just a multi-sport athlete and military vet of eight years. When I turned about 29 or 30, I noticed that my body started going away and I started getting the beer belly look. At first, I was thinking maybe age or genetics because I started to look like my father. About a year ago, I, I decided to get tested and found my total testosterone number was 119 and that my free test was about 7. My estrogen was also low at about 9 pg per ml. Uh, my doctor said that my uh, 119 was dangerously low and had to get an MRI done where they found out that I have a, a pituitary adenema. So my body is now producing neither of those hormones. On TRT now for a year, and the max levels my doctors will allow me to be at is 30 free test. I know I can't be 25, I know I can't be the 25-year-old me again, so my realistic goal is to shape up. I'm down 40 pounds from 265 to 225. I have decent arms, chest, and all muscle. Still have a bit of fat to lose. Uh, with the bit of background, my two questions are, one, with someone like me, what supplements can I use that won't affect my TRT? I used at least one, I uh, used once one of every Blackstone Labs product and found with the DHA, DHEA3, I would do very good for about three weeks and I would feel tired. And then a week or so later, I seemed to, it seemed to all go away as fast as I put it on. Using just chosen one uh, seemed to make my test numbers go up in one cycle and using all three together made my test numbers go down in another. So should I just stick to creatine and whatnot to, uh, to write it out, or uh, he's trying to learn what he can? Uh, his second question is, in your opinion, uh, since your episode two podcast talked uh, like this, uh, what is the highest test or free test level you think someone should be at? Okay, so let's break this all down from top to bottom because you're a unique case because you have a pituitary condition, which is unfortunate. Um, it's a lifelong condition that you'll have to deal with, as you know. A free testosterone level of seven uh, nanograms per deciliter is honestly the lowest I've ever seen. Um, Your estrogen, uh, also dangerously low, shows that your body was truly just not putting out really any. 
uh, hormone. I'm assuming that your progesterone was low. I'm assuming that you probably had um, very low uh, FSH levels, TSH levels. So there's a lot that goes into this. I'm curious, uh, one thing that you did not get into is what your protocol for TRT is. Uh, And that would be a fantastic um, second part uh, to, I guess, episode four. What did the doctor actually do for your TRT? Um, Now, the doctors do not want you to be over 30 for your free testosterone. Now, that's not too bad, actually. That's a solid number. Uh, For bodybuilding purposes, it's not phenomenal. Um, But... When you're over 25, as far as your free test goes, you should be able to make solid gains and and feel good. Now, uh, as you said, you cannot be the 25-year-old version of yourself again. That is is correct, and that it'd be unrealistic to think that. Um, But with the numbers where they are or where they were, you put yourself in a lot of health risks. You put yourself in risks for heart problems. You put yourself in risk for actual blood clots uh, when your estrogen levels are all out of whack like that. Um, and so being on the TRT, I'm assuming you're making slow and steady progress, which is good to maximize what you're getting on the TRT. You can do one of two things, uh, or you could do both. My suggestion is to first go to the chosen one again. And the reason that I want you to try the chosen one again is because the chosen one will optimize your free testosterone. Uh, the other DHEA products will not do that, so I would not waste your time with those other products, which is why you probably got the good results with the chosen one and not the others. Now, because you're on the TRT, you can stay on the chosen one for long periods of time, and you don't have to worry about post-cycle therapy. But here's the thing. Here's another thing that you can do. You can either add in PCT5, which is an arimistane product that also has N-acetylcysteine, things that are going to be taking care of the organs in your body, but in conjunction with the arimistane, uh, in conjunction with the saw palmetto, it'll be protecting any negative side effects that if you were to have, let's say, a slightly over 30 level of free free testosterone. So let me rephrase that. You could actually go three, three ways. So you could do the chosen one. You could try not doing the chosen one and adding in the PCT5. Or you could try putting them both together to maximize what you would get from the ancillary aspect of it. Now, I think for what your goals are, if you're making good progress now, you could take a moderate dose of chosen one for a long period of time with the PCT5 and probably optimize your free testosterone levels without the risk of negative side effects and you'd probably lose some water weight and harden up a little bit faster than if you didn't do that. That would be my advice on maximizing what you could get. Should you use creatine? You can, but I don't think that you're going to be seeing what you want to see from the creatine. I think if anything, you'll hold a little bit of extra water weight, and that's not what you're going for as far as physical appearance and as far as feeling physically better. Um, you know, you, you've answered the question yourself in a way when you said using just chosen one seemed to make your test numbers go up in one cycle. They will. 
um, and they and they won't aromatize. So you will not have any negative aspect on the estrogen side of it by adding in the arimastane. You can balance things out, and that's why I, I I really like PCT5 because it's more than just an arimastane product. You have the N-acetylcysteine, which is going to boost your glutathione levels naturally. You've got the saw palmetto, which is going to help with DHT. I mean, this is something that's going to work with you and your total body care a lot better. And if you wanted to be conservative, you could add in the PCT5 and probably take it year round and optimize the TRT the way that you are now. That's the beauty of TRT. You don't have to worry about any crashes because you're going to have that baseline at all times. Um, as far as the second part of the question, in my opinion, since episode two podcast talked about this, what is the highest test or free test levels you think someone should or could be at? Well, I've seen some fairly high numbers. I've seen numbers in the seventies before. These are people that were taking large doses of steroids. However, I've seen people take large doses, doses of steroids and not have impressive, um, free testosterone levels. I actually have my blood work on my phone right now and I'm going to pull it up and I will give you an example of what a healthy uh, free testosterone level is uh, while on HRT. So um, have I been higher than this before? Absolutely. Um, But I was also taking a lot more stuff and I can tell you, this is factual, that when I took chosen one, my free testosterone was the highest that I've seen it in years. Um, I, I want to say it was 60-something. Uh, so let's see. I am looking at my blood work right now, and I'm going to scroll down. And I uh, was very happy with this recent blood work. My triglycerides are low. Cholesterol range is good. Uh, okay. So my total testosterone, which is not always the most important number that they check, was uh, 1,600. So typically they want you to be around 1,100. Anything over 1,100 is considered high. However, I did take this, I did do this blood work right after a shot. And I find when you do the blood work close to the time that you take your shot, you usually see elevated numbers because of that first release from the depot. My free testosterone is, uh, my estradiol, uh, is 31, which is outstanding. Uh, 35 is, is really, uh, uh, perfect. You know, anything, anything over 35 is when you start getting into the higher range. Uh, my free testosterone is at, uh, 57. So that's actually, uh, fairly high, but that's a good, good solid number. Uh, when I was on the chosen one, as I said, I believe that it was in the high sixties. Uh, I have seen people, numbers as high as 80 and 90 before I've never seen triple digits. Um, and that means your body is optimizing that testosterone very, very efficiently. So just because you have somebody that's got, you know, a testosterone, uh, when they're just doing the actual testosterone test at 3000, that doesn't mean that their free testosterone is being optimized the right way. Um, if you're around 30, um, I wouldn't want to see you under 30, but if they're letting you stay around 30, I think that you should be able to make solid gains and progress the way that you want to. Um, it's just going to be a little bit slower. Awesome. All right. So our next question is, uh, from Solomon. Uh, he says, Hey PJ, uh, good to see you back in the spotlight and getting healthy. 
It is awesome to have you answering questions again. Uh, I would like to switch it up from something about your diet or transformation. I would like to talk about uh, a bit about exogenous testosterone. I have a few questions. One, what type is best? Or what do you like about, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, cipionate or propionate, et cetera? Two, what would uh, starting a cycle look like and what AI, at what dose should I run? And three, would it be possible to inject a low dose HRT amount indefinitely and not run any AI? Uh, what would that dose be? I know everyone is different. Very good questions, and uh, thank you. I, I enjoy being back in the spotlight, answering questions for you guys. Uh, I thrive in this environment, so please keep them coming. Um, I am a big Sipionate guy. Uh, I, I, I will rotate from time to time off of the Sipionate over to an anthate, which molecularly is extremely similar. Um, you can't find two more similar compounds. Now, the most different one is the propionate, which is a faster acting. And, and what makes these, these testosterone forms different is they all start as testosterone, but these esters are added to control the release in your body. These esters carry a different weight, and they will make your body utilize the testosterone differently. They will make your body release the testosterone differently. So the propionate ester is actually the, the lightest. So when you have a 100 milligrams of uh, propionate, you're actually getting, per, per milliliter, you're actually getting the most testosterone. So if you took 200 milligrams of propionate versus 200 milligrams of sipionate, you'd actually be getting more testosterone slightly from the propionate because the ester weighs less. Now, why do I not like propionate? Well, for starters, the fast-acting ester means you have to do it all the time. So you're looking at a basically every other day dosing protocol, and it's really not fun to stab yourself with a needle every other day. When you're doing sipionate or an anthate, you can get away with doing a weekly shot. Uh, in fact, you could get away with doing shots really biweekly, but I think that's really stretching it too far, and I've debated this with, with many doctors uh, in, and I've even actually debated doctors doing a, a twice a week protocol for these long acting esters like sipionate and enanthate because you keep your blood plasma levels even when you do that and you have the lowest side effects. So you can't go wrong with sipionate. Next best choice would be enanthate. Don't waste your time with these blends. They're just marketing scams. And uh, propionate, in my opinion, is overrated and doesn't really have a place in your life unless you like stabbing yourself all the time. What should a starting cycle look like? I've said this before and I've said it again. You can't go wrong with, with just test. 400 to 500 milligrams of test for 8 to 10 weeks. You'll get great, great, great results. And you will absolutely want to have an AI, which stands for Aromatase Inhibitor, on hand. Arimidex is my preferred choice at that one. You can probably get away with doing a half of a milligram every other day and having no issues at all, keeping your gains nice and dry. Some of you will have to go to a milligram every other day. And there are some of you who are unfortunate that may start developing some estrogenic side effects, some gynecomastia. And if that happens, you've got to go to a daily protocol with the Arimidex. And if you don't wipe it out in 10 to 14 days, you're probably not going to wipe it out. And you need to either abandon what you're doing or go see a doctor and get the glands removed. And that is the unfortunate thing about the human body it is so hard to predict. I've seen guys juice their brains out for years, never have any issues, and I've seen guys do mild cycles and get horrible gyno the first time they've tried. I've even met numerous 
Uh, I can think of at least three of them just off the top of my head. Guys that never took steroids ever and developed gynecomastia through puberty. Uh, in fact, we had one that worked for us for, at one time, and I'm not going to say his name, um, but he uh, does operate a video camera from time to time. Um, I'm sure he's doing well out there. Uh, <laughs> everyone is different. Um, would it be possible to inject a low dose of HRT amount indefinitely and not run an AI? I would say it is possible for certain individuals, although, although I wouldn't gamble on that. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking the AI and making sure that you're keeping these negative side effects at bay. All right. Our next question, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. His name is Martin uh, Dagonais. He says, hello, PJ. Thank you for your generosity and sharing your knowledge. I'm very interested in knowing more about your total health regimen, your nutrition, supplementation for health purposes, and HRT protocol, which I think you just kind of answered. He says, uh, you mentioned being on HRT, taking 200 milligrams a week of test, one milligram of Arimidex, ED, and one IU of GH, growth hormone. Uh, do you take your growth hormone every day? Uh, also, where are your test levels and IGF-1 levels now, which you just answered. Uh, also, would like to know, is it possible, uh, how you were prescribed your growth hormone? Uh, were your levels low, or was it mainly because of a symptom of low growth hormone? I've uh, been trying to get a script here in Canada, but it's almost impossible. Thanks for everything. Okay, well, I did answer most of those questions already. I will state that I, as of this week, hasn't it hasn't affected me yet, uh, but I did boost my HRT out of what would be considered a normal HRT range from 200 milligrams of sipinate a week to 600 uh, because I'm going to focus the next 30 days on more of a pure muscle building phase. Uh, I am still doing the standard one milligram of Arimidex every day. And I also boosted the GH from one IU to two IUs. And what I'm doing is I'm doing one IU before bed and I'm doing the other IU before I do my cardio to maximize the fat burning purposes. Do I do it every day? Yes, I do. Uh, we went over my test levels. My IGF-1 levels were actually not that high. It was 161, I believe. Uh, so it'll be interested in seeing if with that extra unit of GH it goes higher. Also, I'm experimenting with a, pro a product uh, by High Tech Pharmaceuticals that's literally called uh, IGF-1. Uh, and it is it is a first orally stable pure form of IGF-1. So we're going to go back in 30 days test my blood work again and see if there is a true increase in the IGF-1, which will be very, very telling. Now, where did I get my GH? How did I get my GH? It is very, very difficult to get GH from a doctor, and it is very, very, very expensive. When I was competing, I certainly would not have been able to afford it. Uh, and in fact, I was not able to afford the Serostim that I use now until much later in life, and I simply know doctors in the right places. And um, that's the best answer I could give you on that because you can get things like omnitropin and somatropin from doctors that are going to charge you probably a monthly dosing protocol of a thousand to $1,500. Your best bet is probably to just ask for Ceramorellin, which they're, they'll prescribe very readily and is far less expensive. Is it as good? No, but it's your next best option. All right. Our next question is from Luke Dory. Uh, he says, you are such a huge inspiration to so many people. I would personally like to thank you for not only encouraging me to be the best I physically can be, but also inspiring me to become a better businessman and leader. 
He says, what, are, what would be the best way to run the ECA stack for leaning out? Dosage, length, any tips or tricks on what else to do while taking the ECA stack or how to benefit from it the most? Again, thank you so much. Thank you, Luke. I really appreciate all the nice things that you guys send us in here. Uh, the fact that you guys are inspired by me means a lot. Now, you guys have probably noticed most of these questions have been either gear or supplement-based. We went through them all and put them together like that on purpose. If you guys like this format, let me know. I just think it makes more sense to kind of stick in one category for a while rather than bouncing around. So... The next phase after these questions will probably be more diet-related, and um, I haven't gotten too many of, of the business entrepreneurial questions. I welcome those, and um, guys, I, like I said, I'll, I'll answer anything, so um, I guess my listener base right now, this is what you guys are most interested in, and that's fine with me, but we are going to get to a point where we run out of talking about this stuff, and um, that may be when we change the format of the show, perhaps just talking about a lower amount of topics for a longer amount of time. Now, ECA stack, huge fan. In fact, I think that the ECA stack is better than using Clen for contest prep or for just losing weight, and I also think that it's safer. It was banned, unfortunately, in the United States. It's still legal in Canada, but it can be obtained pretty easily, pretty <laughs> easily uh, on the internet. Um, I know tons of people that obtain it and and have no issues with it. Uh, Broncade is something that you can find pretty readily. Uh, and this is the best protocol for ECA. It's it's going to be in a twice-a-day dosing protocol. In the half-life, where you're going to really see the most effect is about a six- to eight-hour window. So you're going to want to take the first dose uh, right when you wake up in the morning. And then, again, you'll want to take the second dose six to eight hours later. Um, as far as the breakdown of the dose... It's the same. I don't ever change the dosing pro protocol on ECA. All of the positive study is done on this protocol. It is 25 milligrams of ephedrine, 200 milligrams of caffeine, and a single baby aspirin, which is 81 milligrams of aspirin. That is the protocol. That is where all the studies that are, are positive come from, and you will do that twice a day. It is a outstanding fat-burning combination. Uh, it is very thermogenic. You will have intense focus. Uh, your uh, core temperature will be elevated. You'll be burning far more calories. Uh, your workouts will be better. Uh, and you're not going to fry out your receptors as bad as something like the clenbuterol will. Now, it is a bronchodilator, so it'll, it'll, uh, it'll affect your cardio, but it should affect it in a positive way. All right. Um, it'll hit you faster if you take it on an empty stomach uh, than if you take it with food. My suggestion is to take it on an empty stomach, but to eat maybe within 30 minutes afterwards just so it doesn't hit you too, too hard. Um, but you really don't need more than a two-day pro uh, two protocol. Now, as far as duration, I like to base that on what needs to be accomplished because these tools should be used as plateau busters. They should not be used as as things to rely on to get you to where you need to get to. So if you've exercised your options as far as mastering your diet, doing the cardio, doing the training, and, and you're still not getting where you, you, you want to get to, that is when you add in something like an ECA stack. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to make a lifestyle change and I want to lose 20 pounds, so I'm going to go get on an ECA stack. That's the wrong mentality to have. And you'd be surprised how much better results that you can get if you do things in steps rather than all at once. So 
You've gone through all these steps and you're in a plateau. My advice is give yourself 30 to 60 days. You're going to accomplish a lot in 30 days on a twice a day protocol of ECA stack. I think that eight weeks is probably the farthest you can stretch it before you start to really fry out your receptors. At that point, they will fry out and you'll notice I'm not getting the energy anymore. I'm not getting the results anymore. And that's when you're going to want to take a break. Great supplement to take when you're in your break period is L-carnitine and tartrate form. I would suggest taking 2,000 milligrams twice a day. This will actually help upregulate the receptors. And another thing that you can do is you can simply take Benadryl uh, before bed. Uh, that will help as well. There were people that thought that that was a fallacy, uh, but there is study that do um, support it. There are other um, illegal uh, drugs that you can obtain to help with upregulating the receptors that I would not recommend looking for. Um, but the ECA is the most powerful you know, thermogenic formula that you're going to get. You know, when we, when we designed our King Cobra product with DMAA, 1,3-dimethylamine, which is the next best step after uh, ephedrine, we wanted people to feel like they were on ECA stack. And I feel that like we accomplished that. So you may want to try a product like King Cobra first before you get into the ECA stack. Because you may, you may be getting such good results on the King Cobra that you might not want to go to the ECA stack because it's going to be even a little bit more intense than that. But I'd rather see you do that than clenbuterol or DNP or any of these other crazy things that people do. All right. Our next question is from Steve Q. He says, you are the encyclopedia of bodybuilding. I started an Anavar only cycle of 20 milligrams per day. I'm 40-year-old male trying to get lean. I will do the cycle for six weeks. Is this a good dose? Simple, simple answer, yes. Um, but... Let's elaborate on that a little bit more. You're not going to uh, break any records on an Anavar-only cycle, okay? You're a 40-year-old male trying to get lean. So most likely, your testosterone levels are lower, and this is a huge factor. So you're going to want to look and see where are your testosterone levels. Are your testosterone levels in a healthy range? If they are not in a healthy range, you're kind of going to be wasting your time with the Anavar. Now, if they are in a healthy range, then the Anavar is a nice addition. I know female competitors that compete in the bikini division that have taken 20 milligrams of Anavar a day. So this is a very conservative and safe dose. What do I usually tell guys that want to, to actually see positive results from Anavar? I usually tell them, well, for starters, make sure you're on at least some HRT. Uh, because if the testosterone is not where it's supposed to be, you're, you're not going to see the results that you want to get with the Anavar. The Anavar is purely anabolic, anabolic. So it has no androgenic properties at all. So if, if it is only anabolic and only a, a, a mild muscle building hormone, if the androgens aren't there, your body is not going to receive them properly. Now, if you have your blood work, this is what I tell people all the time, get your blood work done and the levels are fine, then yes, you'll see some solid results out of 20 milligrams per day. If you want my true advice, I would do 40 to 50 milligrams, uh, but I wouldn't do it unless you've got um, a total testosterone of at least 500. Uh, 700 would be fantastic. If you got yourself on some TRT, they'd keep you around 750 to 1,000. In that range, you can get away with using less Anavar and getting better results. Is six weeks a good duration? Yes, it is. 
uh, but you're going extremely conservative. All right. Our next question is from Clementine Cordero. I've used Fragment 176, 191 on my abs before, but also if I was dieting and doing intense cardio. I have a friend. I had a friend tell me about Helios, which he said worked great for her. My understanding uh, is that it is basically an injectable clean compound to be cycled by Clen. Does that mean you have to? Uh, does that mean you should supplement with anything to keep your receptors clean? Have you used either product or believe in their ability to uh, to spot reduce to tighten up or eliminate dimples cellulite? And what exactly is cellulite? Because it vanishes when I diet, but it comes back immediately when I cheat or I'm unclean. Uh, where, how do I find your podcast, which we'll answer later? Um, all right. Well, uh, to answer this, and in, 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 I'm going to break this down into certain uh, categories of uh, where I think that you may be disappointed in my answer. For starters, I actually have not used Fragment 176 or 191, and I have not used Helios. However, I'm, I'm very well read in Helios. Um, as far as all the new fragments and peptides go, I, I personally think that most of them are kind of a waste of time. And there's people that will debate me on that, but that's just my, my strong opinion based on lack of science. Now, Helios, um, for the most part, what you're saying, yes, is, is accurate. It's an injectable uh, fat burner that's supposed to be used for, for spot reduction. Does it work on spot reducing fat? No, it does not. Uh, what happens is it gets into your bloodstream and just simply starts moving through your body. Uh, you're better off just taking an oral fat burner. Now, when you were taking this, you kind of answered the question uh, for yourself and for me without me having to ask it. You said you were also dieting and doing intense cardio. So I believe that the dieting and intense cardio is what got you the results that you wanted. Um, we all have a friend that got some great results off of something that doesn't really make scientific sense. And that's the way the world works. We also all have a cousin that bench presses more than us. That's another fact that's out there. I've met a lot of real strong cousins. And I've also met a lot of 80-year-old men that looked exactly like me or were bigger than me in their day, which is interesting because I don't even know if steroids were around back then. But I let them say what they have to say, and I always treat everybody with respect. Now, should you be cycling these things uh, and taking something to keep your receptors clean? If you're taking them, yes. My, my strong opinion on this is to not mess with the Helios. Um, it's kind of crude and outdated, and guys messed with it in the 80s and 90s, and you don't really hear much about it anymore. Um, it is kind of impossible, unfortunately, to spot reduce fat. Um, if you want to take fat out of a certain area, the only way that you really can achieve this is with liposuction. Uh, body contouring, that's what the doctors are doing these days. It's very expensive uh, and it is painful, but you can remove those fat cells from those areas. Now, there is a, a topical ingredient that does have impressive data, and I actually put this in a product. Um, it's not a Blackstone Labs product, but I do support the data. It is called Tripeptide 1, and you will probably find more information if you Google liporeductal which is the trade name. There are a couple uh, brands that are utilizing this now. Farmaline is one of them. And what it does is it dehydrates the cellulite cells. So what what is cellulite? For starters, it's a hereditary thing that 80% of the women in the, in the United States have or will have, and it is simply a genetic hereditary thing. It is 
not just fat. They are dehydrated cells, okay? So if you look at it under a microscope, it looks considerably different than your regular adipose tissue, regular fatty tissue. Now, think about this for a second. If they are dehydrated cells, could you, in essence, improve this to an extent by hydrating yourself and hydrating your skin? In theory, yes, but not dramatically. So you can go and you can get liposuction and suck the fat out of these areas and still have cellulite because, again, it is a hereditary thing based around a completely different type of tissue, these dehydrated cells. When you are getting in really good shape and you are saying that your cellulite vanishes, it is because a combination of things. Number one, there's less overall fat anyway. Number two, the skin is getting tighter anywhere, everywhere, so it's improving the appearance. And number three, you're probably at a higher level of hydration. And all of that affects the elasticity of the skin. Um, as we get older, we start losing the elasticity of the skin. And we see these problems come back worse and get harder to get rid of. So... I wouldn't feel bad about the cellulite because I've seen very thin girls with six packs that have cellulite on the back of their legs. It is it is not uh, a reflection of, of true body fat storage. It is a hereditary condition uh, that, that comes from dehydrated cells. Um, you, 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 can, you can improve these areas with... Um, body contouring and, and, and with liposuction. And, and if you talk to any plastic surgeon, they're going to tell you the same thing. That, that is the only way to truly spot reduce fat effectively. Um, but it can also come back if you're not on top of your fitness regime and your diet protocol. So this is something else that you have to think about. All right. Our next question is from jo- uh, Josu Garcia. He says, what's the best way to get a doctor to prescribe you TRT when in your mid to late 20s? Also, how does this and or pro-hormones like, well, not pro-hormone, but chosen one, et cetera, affect fertility? Very good question. First thing you got to do is get a reason to get your blood work done. And the reason that I always suggest is you go to the doctor and say, my sex drive is so low. I don't know what to do. I have no desire to have sex. It's affecting my relationships. My girlfriend slash wife is very upset with me. It's hurting my love life. Can we get some blood work done just to make sure I'm healthy? They're not going to deny you there because if you have low testosterone, then you will have low sex drive, which will also lead to you being tired, lack of energy, lack of aggression. It'll even make your brain foggy where you won't be as sharp as, as you need to be at your job. So that is the, the the route you take when you speak to your doctor about getting blood work done. Now, you want to bypass the doctor all the way, go online and go to WebMD or go to PrivateMD and look up the different tests they have out there. If you go to PrivateMD, there are tests for everything. You can order yourself STD tests. You can order yourself tests for, for testosterone, estrogen, all kinds of things, and you basically get charged by the different tests. If you do like a very comprehensive one where you're looking at tests, progesterone, IGF-1, stuff like that, you're going to run yourself probably around 350 bucks. You can then take that to any Quest or LabCorp or wherever else in your town does uh, blood work. And trust me, they're everywhere. Um, and, and now you'll have actual data. If you have a personal doctor that you use, you can bring them that data and say, hey, look, I got some blood work done. It's really bad. What do I do? All right. Certain areas 
have TRT doctors, HRT doctors all over the place. And they get it. These are typically doctors that are more forward-thinking with their medicine. So they understand when you go in there that, okay, this guy's coming in here because he wants his testosterone higher. Let's get his blood tested. Let's see where it's at. And let's decide what protocol we want to do. Uh, in Florida, there's one on every corner. Um, now, how does this and or pro-hormones like Chosen One affect fertility? Uh, things like Chosen One, which will work to boost your testosterone, uh, especially your, your free testosterone, can affect your fertility. But here's the deal. Although the studies show that by taking in an excess of exogenous testosterone, that your follicle-stimulating hormone should be very, very low. In fact, mine is very low right now, so, which means my – if you look at my blood work, my, my swimmers aren't going anywhere. I should not be able to get a woman pre pregnant. However, uh, I can speak from the past, not something I'm proud of, uh, something that was very difficult for me to deal with at the time, uh, and I do not want to elaborate on it a lot today. But while I was training for a show on the most testosterone that I've probably ever been on, I had found out that I got a girl pregnant, and uh, she decided that she wanted to have an abortion against my will, and that was a very uh, heartbreaking thing for me to go through and my friends were all like how the fuck did you get her pregnant cranked out on all that uh, all that steroids i thought that you would be infertile and i've told them that almost all of my bodybuilder friends have kids and many of them had kids by accident so although the science suggests that it should make you infertile there are many many instances where that is not the case and it's probably a simple matter of more data needing to be compiled to, to, to really prove that. Um, if you're worried about having children, uh, most doctors that I've spoken to have said that with different pregnancy protocols like HCG, Clomid, things like that, they usually have a high success rate when guys come off of the steroids of then being able to get their wives pregnant. Uh, I know many friends that have had to do this. In some cases, it took only a few months. In some cases, I had a friend that it took them uh, two years, a lot of money on fertility drugs, but they were able to have a healthy baby girl. Um, and this was somebody that took probably more, more steroids than anyone I've ever met for probably 15 years. Um, so with modern medicine, there are many ways around many things. All right. Our next question is from Steve Sampson. Uh, he says, I retain a lot of water, mostly in my legs. I'm taking prescription trimetrine, 37.5 uh, milligrams. Uh, and 25 milligram tablets twice a day, along with 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Uh, you mentioned a new diuretic product coming from Blackstone Labs. When is it coming out? Uh, what is it comprised of? And when do you think we'll be able, or do you think I'll be able to replace this medication with your supplement? Possibly, but what you're taking is pretty strong. Um, so my short answer is potentially no. Are you? Does the doctor want you on this medicine uh, indefinitely? I'd like to know that uh, because trimetrine is pretty strong. That's something that bodybuilders were, will mess with the last day or two before their shows um, to get rid of water. Um, the new diuretic that I am uh, releasing is very strong. And I'm going to do a very thorough video on the ingredients and why we put the ingredients in there. And for that reason, I do not want to talk about it right now because it will screw with the marketing. <laughs> um, and I would rather do the mar video marketing first before I talk about it on the podcast. But you can expect to see that product very soon. Uh, make sure that you're drinking 
a lot of water. And it would be very, very beneficial for you to get alkaline water. Uh, if you could get a, even if it's, if it's, if it's a, um, attachment to your faucet in your kitchen put in, you can usually get them for relatively inexpensive now. Um, because keeping your body in an alkaline state will keep you better hydrated. Um, and when you're taking something strong like that, you, you know, you're risking different levels of dehydration. All right. Our next question is from Angela Christine. Uh, she says, "On my, my last show was in 2013, and my coach threw me on such a ridiculous cycle. Uh, we're talking Trend, Primo, Prop, Winstrol, EQ, Provion, Mastrion, 200 milligrams of Clen. Uh, then my endocrinologist said that my natural T levels won't come back. I went from a normal baseline female test levels to over 300 to 12, literally. So he prescribed me uh, HRT, a uh, test from a compound pharmacy, uh, 10 milligrams per day, seven times a week. However, no matter what I do, I get cystic acne on my back. Mm -hmm. Even when I supplement an injectable test versus the cream from my doctor, are my estrogen levels just out of whack and I need to, be, er, and I need to Im uh, implement Nova Novodex into my life? I'm trying to get ready for a show again, so with that, even the base levels of tests I need to increase at some point, but don't want to, but don't want the acne to get worse. Uh, that is thankfully my only side effect. Also, too, and most importantly, how much for Angie? <laughs> um, well, hello, Angela. Uh, let's answer the easy question first. Um, you can swing by and pick up Angie anytime. She's on my bad list right now. Uh, Salvina was out of town, and Angie refused to come outside and pee and poop with the other dogs. Um, I don't know what her deal was. She usually listens, uh, but she, she instead of wanting to just do the easy thing, she uh, peed in the house three different times, all, all in the same spot, a considerable amount of pee for a dog that doesn't drink that much water. And then at the end of the night, when I decided that I was going to take one of my weekly Epsom salt baths because my body is broken, uh, just as I had got myself into soaking position in the tub, I started smelling something that was just really just pure rancid. It didn't smell like like poop. It didn't smell like dog poop. Oh, uh, it was it was like putrid. And as I looked up, Angie was walking and shitting <laughs> around the bathtub. Almost in like a semicircle and then into the hallway as if she was sending me some kind of horrible message. I took pictures of it to send to Salvina because I was amazed at the coloration and the amount of what came out of her. Um, and you know what? I actually sat in the Epsom salt for 20 minutes in the gross shit smelled room because um, I guess I was that sore that I just didn't feel like getting out. And being bothered with it. So, <laughs> how much for Angie right now? You can take her. Um, you can you can definitely take the news. I don't know if Salvi would like that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this horrible coach that you had because I've got to go. I've got to break this down because this this may be the most aggressive cycle that I've ever seen a woman take before. You're taking Trenblone, which is completely unacceptable for a woman to take. Now, I, I will say that I've worked with a couple top-level IFBB pro bodybuilders. So we're talking about the largest, you know, most impressive, most freaky women in the world. And some of them will mess with trend. A way that I found would give uh, somewhat, you know, safer effects and lower, and you know, much lower side effects was to simply use an insulin needle at five units a day. So that's only 35 milligrams a week. All right. That's very, very low. 
Uh, and by doing it every day, you're keeping the blood levels um, very uh, consistent. And this is something that I would see some of them do the last couple weeks before show to get that freaky, freaky, freaky dry look that you see from these top-level female bodybuilders. Now, to go on from that, there's really no reason in the world why a woman should take an androgen, which is literally 8 to 10 times more powerful than testosterone. The definition of androgen is male aging hormone. So as a woman, you're just rapidly aging yourself into a man. That, that's just a horrible, horrible thing to think about. Primobolin, uh, although popular with women, is almost always fake. Uh, propanate, which is the on a milliliter per milliliter level, the, the strongest testosterone that you could have added in. The Winstrol, which is, for the most part, fairly safe, but can convert into DHT, which can make your hair fall out. The Equipoise, which can also, in conjunction with these other things, lead to a number of negative side effects. Proviron, which is purely androgenic. Uh, Masteron, which is also very strongly androgenic. And then on top of that, a ridiculously high and un, un, unhealthy level of clenbuterol. So fortunately, you're alive still. I, I have to be honest with you. That's a, that's a pretty insane combination of stuff for a woman to, 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 to use. Now, I will say this. I have no problem saying this, that I have trained uh, a top five level competitor at the Olympia and at the Arnold in each division, women's physique, uh, bodybuilding, uh, figure, and bikini. And let's just talk women's physique for a second. My clients used Anavar and they used Nolvidex. And every once in a while, every once in a while, a very, very small amount of Winstrol. And this was only on the ones that were harder gainers. Uh, my bodybuilders <laughs> never, ever used the combination of things that I see here. Um, and outside of that, my figure girls were typically just using a little bit of Anavar and Olvidex, and my bikini girls oftentimes used no Anavar, just Nolvidex. Um, But again, if they were a hard gainer, a little bit of Anavar never really bothered somebody. Clen, I don't like to see get over 80 to 100 MCGs. So 200 is, is double the max amount that I would ever like to see anybody do. Um, it's scary. It's scary that people will do this. Uh, I'm assuming that this was from a guy, and he was probably a bodybuilder. Women, if you're listening to the show, if you are thinking about listening to the bodybuilders in your gym because they're jacked and they look good, please run away from them. They're usually the biggest morons of them all, and they will treat you like a science experiment, and it really pisses me off to see something like this. This is very careless, um, and, and it upsets me um, because somebody's health – uh, should be your number one focus as a coach. You should be trying to make somebody as healthy as they could possibly be, not unhealthy. This person made you very, very unhealthy, and you're potentially screwed up for life now. So now that I've laid that all out there, you are on a prescription of HRT, uh, test from a compound pharmacy, 10 milligrams a day, seven days a week. So that protocol makes sense because you're getting an even dose and a low even dose at all times. The cystic acne, I believe, is more of an estrogen-related thing or a progesterone-related thing. And if you're not taking Nolvidex, I'd like to see what happens with you incorporating it in. Um, now, what's interesting is the Nolvidex is the ideal way to go, but it's possible, and I'm just, I'm just honestly treating this as like my own little science experiment, that you may benefit from the Arimidex because you might be having some sort of aromatization issue. And on top of that, if you haven't done it yet, 
you might want to get on a high dose of Augmentin because you might just have some very, very bad bacteria going on and perhaps can be wiped out that way. Um, now, if, if, if that doesn't work, then yes, there is a chance that you may need to be on the Nolvidex for life. What I like about the Nolvidex is you'll still produce estrogen. It just won't bind with the receptors the same way. And hopefully you will not get the negative estrogenic side effects. Um, I would suggest that you get this sorted out before you get ready for a show again. Um, because the stress that you put through your body will only make that cystic acne get worse. Um, and if you haven't spoken to a dermatologist, I would speak to a dermatologist. I would not jump right into Accutane, which they may want to do because it's extremely toxic and it gets worse before it gets better. Um, but the Nolvidex is something that is promising and, 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 and does have potential to help if you haven't gone that way yet. Um, and it's very unfortunate. I'm sorry that this person did this to you, and hopefully it can get sorted out. I'm very interested in seeing where you're going to go with this. All right. Our next question is from DJ. Uh, they say, I remember you starting that, uh, stating that a test cycle is only good for beginners to start with. I've been, on an aggressive, I've been on aggressive cycles in the past. However, I haven't touched anything for two years. If I'm getting back into it, should I start as a beginner, or should I go into something a little more again? Looking forward to your response. Well, I think that you miss, I was misquoted or, or misinterpreted uh, by saying it was only for beginners. Test is good for everybody. Uh, I always suggest the beginners start with test, but that is because my whole, whole method on this is, is simple. We are men, and we are made of testosterone. So your goal is to become more of a man, right? I mean, you're trying to get bigger and, and more manly and more masculine. So by taking what makes you a man in a higher amount is simply going to enhance that. Uh, and that is the, the, the layman's and, and, and funny kind of like bro science uh, position on that. So if you've taken a break for a while, I would suggest just jumping on a good test cycle again and seeing what kind of results you get. You'll probably be very pleased. All right. Our next question is from Ryan Duncan. It's a bit of a longer one. Uh, he says, Hi, hey, my name is Ryan Duncan. I'm 22 years old and live in North Cal California. I'm a huge fan of Blackstone Labs and love watching the videos in your, of your products. I've tried tr uh, quite a few of them and have had uh, awesome results. Uh, I listened to both of your Ask PJ Braun podcasts and was fascinated with the information. I learned and I'm doing uh, and looking forward to hearing more in the future. My question to you is regarding uh, how to get more hard, dry, how to get a more hard, dry body. Uh, I entered a fat loss fitness competition last year and lost 6.5% body fat in eight weeks. I used your chosen one, Brutal Force, and Abnormal Stack, along with a tuna, egg, and green tea diet. I threw in occasional, occasional enchiladas and burgers because I still love to eat. Losing the weight was awesome, and I continued my high cardio training mixed with HIT and weightlifting, and I lost a total of 70 pounds altogether with, within the year. I weighed in at 260 pounds for the competition and dieting, dieted down to 190 pounds. Uh, I was doing uh, kettlebell cardio conditioning classes twice a week, playing basketball and lifting five days a week. At the 100, at 190 pounds, I still didn't have the muscle density I was expecting and still felt soft. What diet training and supplements do you recommend for the hard muscle gains I wish to make? I am currently 225 and am 6'2", which I am happy happy with, but I want to harden up and get my strength up. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. Very, very good uh, question. And my answer is going to disappoint you a little bit. You're 22 years old. And so you're, you're what I call <laughs> just entering manhood. And I actually, uh, now that I am an old man, 
Uh, I usually tell people that I, I don't really even consider uh, men adults until they're over 25. And your body is going to change considerably over the next four or five years. And you're going to get what I like to call your man strength. And man strength is a beautiful thing because you still have a lot of baby fat on your body, even though, you know, legally you're allowed to go out and drink and do all these things. But what happens is this. As you go from such a heavy weight down, your body composition does change and you lose all this fat and what I like to call shit weight. And shit weight is just water and the visceral stuff inside that you can't see. You get rid of all this stuff and you will reveal a physique that the average human will look at and be like, wow, he looks great. He looks fit. He looks healthy. But typically people that get into the extremes that it sounds like you are or myself, we are setting ourselves almost up for failure because we are comparing ourselves to these great physiques that we see on the cover of magazines to people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you have to understand two things. Number one, just about anybody that you've seen on the cover of a magazine has stellar genetics. They've got a genetic body type or ability that I would say falls into less than 10% of the population. This is what I usually tell people. If you want to hear some numbers, this is pure PJ Braun bro science for you. You're not going to find this in any encyclopedia or any anything online. 80% of the population can bust their ass in the gym, eat a good diet, and look pretty good. And look pretty good. 10% of the people can do that. And just for whatever reason, they just won't look that good. They can look a little better, but they just, you're like, man, that person does all this and that's what they look like. And then the other 10%, the last 10% are the ability, the people that have the ability to be either elite level athletes, elite level bodybuilders, elite level fitness models. It's a different genetic makeup, a world-class sprinter, for instance, genetically, it's in the cards for them. And they're a very, very small percentage of the population. So let's just say you fall into that 80% group, right? Now, I think that I'm barely out of that 80% group. I had to bust my ass and do all kinds of crazy stuff to look good, to look really good. But keep in mind that I've been training for 25 years and I didn't start seeing what I considered a physique that I was proud of until at least 10 years of hard, hard training. So because you're so young, you're lacking what's called muscle maturity. And that simply comes with time put in the gym and time doing work. I can promise you, if you keep on the plan that you're on now, in a year from now, you'll see little improvements to your physique. In four years from now, five years from now, you'll notice all these lines that you didn't have. And you'll start getting more pleased with your look. A great thing that you can do is take periodic pictures for progress. So if you're not going to be doing any competitions or anything like that, why don't you try doing them every three months? Look at the differences in the three months. Did your shoulders get a little bit rounder? Did your chest fill out a little bit more? Are your abs showing a little bit more? Are your, are your lats popping out a little bit more? Now do this for the next year. I promise you, 
if you stick to your protocol and you stick to your plan, the 12-month pictures, you're going to see a lot more than the starting pictures. And it's tough because you look at yourself every single day. So you're going to be your own worst critic and you're not going to see the subtle changes. If you looked at the same plant every single day, you certainly aren't going to see it grow. If you go away for a year and come back, you might be like, holy crap, I planted that plant last year and it's like six inches taller now. It's a matter of the 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 time that you spend focusing on something and understanding that this thing that you're focusing so hard on is a lifelong journey it's a long process so i don't want to answer this in a way that discourages you because i could have just gave a short answer and said just put more time in the gym but in essence that is really what it comes down to it's your time in that's going to give you that harder more mature look all right, we got about three or four more questions here. Our next question is from Joshua Turner. Uh, he says, huge fan of you and your podcasts and a loyal customer. I met you at the Arnold, and you truly demonstrated your interpersonal communication skills. Such a personable individual. You and your business grow, but you are so incredibly humble. Now to my question. I'm in the Army and suffered a complete right rectus femoris tearwall ter training. I have been to physical therapy and to a sports surgeon, and they have decided to treat non-operatively. Uh, even after getting three opinions. Physically, I am trying to come back from it, but mentally, it's destroying me. What do you recommend to get out of my own head and get back into strength training? This was one of the ones that I saved for the end because this is a, a truly opinion-based question. Um, and my opinion can be very different uh, from somebody else. Now, I would like to, before I get into my opinion on this, I would like to state that I completely, completely annihilated my right shoulder and then, just as luck would have it, I did almost as bad to my left shoulder where both of them are, are in essence, inoperable. They're beyond operation. So I have been experimenting or researching with, with the potential of experimenting with uh, stem cells, PRP, things like that. Um, I have not done them yet. And this may be something, depending on if you have a tear at the insertion point um, you may want to look into as well. Now, if you don't have the tear at the insertion point, then I do not believe that would help for you. Another thing that you have to look at is what can you actually do? What can you do with that muscle? How can you train it? What can't you do? Because you're going to have to develop a protocol around all this. But most importantly, psychologically, how do you get your head back into strength training? I can tell you this. This year, I went through a depression. I went through a divorce, and I, and I had a lot of rough things going on. And because I was in a low point, I got away from something that I found a lot of happiness in. And by doing that, I made myself more unhappy and more depressed. And I'd hate to see that happen to you. Because if psychologically you're going through a hard time right now, and you don't know that you've got what it takes to get back into the strength training, you're only going to feel worse. You're going to feel worse about yourself physically. You're going to feel worse about yourself mentally. And you're going to feel worse about yourself emotionally. And that can lead to a number of bad things. And you don't want to go down that road if you're not already heading down that way. I'd hate to see it happen. 
The best thing that you can do is just tell yourself, I'm going to take this one day at a time, baby steps. I'm not going to be where I want to be right away, but I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go through the motions and I'm going to make it happen. And then the next day I'm going to go back and do it again. And I'm going to understand it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. And I'm going to get mad because I'm not going to be as strong as I used to be. And I'm not going to be able to move around the way I used to, but I'm going to do it no matter what. And if you do that, I promise you, it takes about two weeks. There's a little switch that goes off and you're in a rhythm and anybody that's ever been bitten by any kind of physical bug whether it's to play basketball every day or to swing a golf club and play golf every day my grandpa golfs almost every day loves it he walks the, the course he carries his own clubs he loves it anybody that's gotten bit by any kind of bug like that the iron bug it's all about rep repetition and consistency and when you get back to that repetition and that consistency, you'll find a happy place mentally and it'll carry you through everything else. And I can, I can promise you that I can relate very close to what you're going through, which is why I wanted to save this question for closer to the end because it's such an opinion-based question. But don't let a negative mindset take you out of your happy place because you still have a whole rest of your body to work with. And a whole rest of your body that will carry over. And I believe that a properly trained body will cause a some, somewhat os, osmosis-like effect. Where it'll, it'll cause some sort of healing around that area. Because your body naturally won't let one body part just com completely atrophy and die when everything else is putting in a workload. It'll certainly atrophy. And it'll certainly not function the way that you want it to. But by doing nothing at all, you're doing your entire body a disservice. So please don't go that way. All right. Our next question is from Michael Valino. Uh, he says, my question is about the keto diet variations. Palumbo recommends one cheat meal a day for raised thyroid. Do you agree? Even if there's a lot of weight to lose, like 100 pounds. Also, the foods seem high protein. Uh, also, the foods seem higher in protein than fats. Example, six ounces of chicken with 12 almonds or teaspoons of olive oil versus uh, 70 fat, 25 protein, 5 carb you mentioned. Thanks for your time, Mike. Uh, well, Mike, for starters, I don't know where you got that variation of the Palumbo diet unless he dramatically changed his protocol because Dave Palumbo does not recommend a cheat meal per week. In fact, Dave's typical protocol is when you start on his version of the Palumbo diet, which I'm very, very well versed in. I actually did it for, for a full year, and then I modified it uh, and did it again for a following year. Um, the Palumbo diet is two weeks of full keto followed by one cheat meal and then back to a week of, of cheat meal and then a con back to a consistent week of keto and then one cheat meal per week. Now, done that way, I do believe that, yes, you can potentially raise your thyroid. I think that some people could get away with doing it the biweekly. Um, I do not think that anyone can successfully do keto with a cheat meal every day. Um, that would take you out of ketosis, making the, the diet pointless. So the, you, you must have read something wrong on that one. My advice is to do two weeks of a ketogenic diet, and then depending on what type of individual you are, you can either do a cheat meal cheat day, refeed meal, some people call it, or refeed day, and then get back to your protocol for 7 to 14 days with success. Second part of the question, if there's a lot of weight to lose, 100 pounds, then you can't possibly expect to achieve proper results 
by taking yourself out of ketosis by having these cheat meals all the time. So that part is, is incorrect. Uh, the foods seem higher protein than fats. Example, six ounce chicken. All right. So Dave's, Dave's protocol is typically designed for bodybuilders that are training harder with weights to support the muscle function and growth. The proper breakdown for for a ketogenic style diet is going to be 70 to 75% fat, 20 to 25% carbs. And then depending on which one of those numbers you're going with, you're, you're less than 5% of your diet is going to be be from carbohydrates. So you're you're getting the highest percentage of fat, then protein, and then a very, very minimal amount of carbs, and they should be fibrous. Um, where I see you have the 12 almonds or a teaspoon of olive oil versus the 70 fat, 25 protein, 5 carb you mentioned, I, I think that you possibly just got some in, incorrect information. So um, rather than going specific specifically for a Palumbo diet, you can pull up the Atkins diet, which has been utilized by literally millions of people truly successfully, and try something like that. All right. Our next question is from Taylor Zapalik. Uh, first, this podcast is dope, learning tons, uh, tons of information from you and enjoying hearing about your experiences. Second, my question. On podcast two, you had a question about uh, dieting for a show and mentioned that if you need more than 16 weeks to get in shape, you're doing something wrong. Well, I'm on week 18 of my diet, and this is alarming me. I, male, lifting six years, started at 245 pounds, and I'm currently 222 pounds with a goal weight of 210 pounds, losing one pound a week. If I keep this up, my total diet will be about 28 weeks. Am I doing this too slowly? Uh, my cut started with 3,500 calories per day, and I have dropped 200 calories each time I plateaued, and I'm now sitting at about 2,700 calories. Cardio is 20 minutes four times a week. How do I move forward trying to hit my goal uh, of weight and not losing any or not causing any metabolic damage? Is it safe to add more cardio or drop calories the more to more or to lose it quicker? Well, um, I could answer this one a number of ways also. So, I mean, yes, if you're dieting for that long, you're 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 <laughs> you're doing it too slow. And I'm going to I'm going to answer this though specifically for bodybuilding for a show versus improving as a bodybuilder because I can diet for the rest of my life and I can have no problem with it. And I would probably stay around the same. Uh, I would probably hit my plateaus as you did and try different things to bust through my plateaus. But the, the first time when I did the BPJ, I eventually got to my goal weight and my goal look. And I was basically contest ready. And I actually only gained about five pounds after that and maintained it for almost two years. But I was dieting all year round. I made many sacrifices because I simply wanted to look that way. I liked looking that way. And I didn't mind eating the same fish and asparagus and things like that every day. Now, psychologically, that was fine for me. But, for instance, the person that I was married to at the time thought it was a little obsessive and couldn't go out to normal dinners and, you know, missed out on certain occasions where perhaps I wouldn't drink. Um, not saying that you have to drink when you go out, but you have to look at the big picture. In your case, if you're spending, you know, for math purposes, let's say 30 weeks dieting to get this, this overall look, how long are you going to take after that to reverse diet out of it? Because you're going to have to reverse yourself out of it the proper way. And you're going to want to do it in a way you're doing it slow and steady to build your metabolism to its most effective point. Because when you do something 
in let's say 12 to 16 weeks, you can reverse diet out for a good six weeks and build your metabolism to where it's better than you even started and get away with eating more afterwards. Um, when I said if you're doing it for more than 16 weeks, you're doing it wrong, I'm simply putting that from from the logic of if I want to look a certain way and I want to achieve it the smartest, best, fastest way possible, this is the time frame that I believe it should be done. So if you wanted to run a mile in six minutes and you wanted to, to just do it really slow and steady, just slowly getting better, not worrying about beating up your knees, you know, just making progress, you could probably spend the next year doing it and probably do it. Or you could cut it down to six months and speed things up a, a little bit and hit your goal faster. You know, I um, of the mindset, I like to achieve things faster. I like to see my results a little bit faster. If you're totally fine making the slow, slow progress that you are, then I, I, I can't tell you that what you're doing is wrong for you. It's simply not what I feel the general consensus of people would want to do. You started with your calories fairly high, um, and you're still at a decent amount of calories. You're doing a very minimal amount of cardio. 20 minutes, four times a week is, you know, almost nothing. Now, is this hit cardio? Is it steady state cardio? Because if it's steady state cardio, then it truly is almost nothing. Uh, now, if it's not steady state cardio and you switch it up to hit, you'd bust through some plateau just from that. You might even put some extra muscle on because of it. So there's a lot that goes into that. I do not believe that by speeding it up, you'll risk any metabolic damage. It is very, very difficult for metabolic damage to be occurred when doing things as, as slow and steady as you are. However, if you're not making the proper changes, you absolutely can see some metabolic damage. Now, another thing to be said, and I'm sorry, ladies, this is just the truth. Genetically, you guys got screwed with the hormones. Women uh, run the risk of getting metabolic damage far more often than men. And I've never actually even met a male with metabolic damage before. I have read of some uh, that were usually uh, corrected. I have coached probably hundreds of women out of metabolic damage because it became an epidemic at the end of, of, of my career with all these girls starving themselves and doing hours of cardio for shows because their coaches were idiots. Um, but it sounds to me like you're living a healthy um, and consistent lifestyle and you're just making very, very slow, gradual changes so you can't expect to see the changes that fast. But if that was the goal that you had in mind, to just lose a pound a week, then sure, uh, you can stick with it. Myself, personally, I always wanted to lose a minimum of two pounds a week in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, when you first start a diet, unless you're really, really lean, you can drop a bunch of that crap weight that I always talk about or the quote-unquote shit weight that I talk about in the first month really easily. I mean, even when I just started this transformation, I had so much shit weight to lose. I lost 15 pounds the first week. And that was just from cutting out all the booze and cleaning up my diet and getting back in the gym again. My body just didn't want that weight. Now I've actually been the same weight, uh, for almost three weeks, literally the same exact weight every time I get on the scale, but my body looks considerably different. I mean, Salvina was telling me this morning, she was like, God, you're getting so big now. And I was like, I'm actually the same exact weight. It's just my body is progressing and filling out and tightening up. So it has a different look. So you can't go by just the scale. You can't go just by numbers. You got to go by the mirror. Um, but I don't want to sway you from your plan if you feel like you enjoy the plan that you're on. All right. Our next question is from Alan Anderson. He says, PJ, as a skinny guy, I do a mixture of heavy training for about four weeks, then higher rep training for six to eight weeks to give my joints a break. 
Do you think this is ideal? Should I be training heavy more often to gain size, or can I achieve my goal doing higher reps, layer weight? I understand diet is essential. I'm just wondering about the training aspect. Thanks in advance for the help. I could listen to you drop knowledge bombs for hours like a kid listening to a teacher reading books. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, You are actually doing um, almost identical to what I always suggest uh, people do by rotating in the heavy and the lighter stuff. One thing that I want to say, though, specifically when I mean light, light is a relative term. So when the weights are light, lighter, you're still going to failure. You're not just going, ah, I'm going to lighten this weight and just do it 15 times. Your muscle doesn't know what 15 it is, and it doesn't know what 7 is either. It just knows when it can't fire anymore. So if you're failing in an 8 to 10 rep range, that's heavy. If you're failing in a 15 to 20 rep range, that's considered lighter. You want to get a good mixture of both. And by cycling them on and off the way that you are, you you can absolutely do two things. One, prevent injuries because it's the very heavy stuff that winds up beating up your joints and tendons. And two, you can actually speed your progress because you're keeping your body guessing and adapting at all times. So kudos to you for doing it the smart way. Um, I wish that I had figured that out earlier in my career. I would have trained much, much differently. All right. Our next question is, or actually, this is our last question from Michael Diaz. He says that he's a avid Q and A follower. Uh, if you could go back and talk to a younger you during your bodybuilding career, what is one thing you would tell yourself not to do, either because it was worthless or gave a negative result? Also, what is one thing that you would like to be this thing? This is the first thing you should do because it was so simple and provided the most results, other than a proper diet. Keep up the great work, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Um, I specifically put this question last right after the one I answered before it because, as I said uh, when I was answering the last question, uh, had I known when I was younger what I know now, I would have done things a lot differently from a training standpoint. Now, I started out wanting to be stronger than everybody else, and that is an ego thing that many young men have, and it is truly foolish because strength does not equate to a great body from a bodybuilding standpoint. Now, if your goal is to be the strongest man in the world or to be the best powerlifter in the world, then you're going to have to go about your training and your mentality in a completely different mindset. I have many, many bad injuries. I have achy ankles. I have sore knees. I have bad hips. I have completely annihilated shoulders to the point where if I wasn't getting ART, if I wasn't getting regular massages, sometimes three times a week, if I wasn't doing Epsom salt baths, if I wasn't doing all the stuff that I do to take care of my body, if I wasn't going to cryotherapy, if I wasn't just doing everything possible to preserve my body, I might not even be able to get out of bed in the morning. And that's a shame for somebody my age. Um, it really is a shame. But I was so focused on lifting as much as I possibly could for many, many years that I did this to myself. So if I could go back to young PJ, I would show PJ the results that I made Later in life, training smarter with volume and intensity versus trying to be stronger than everybody else. Because once I learned that, my body started progressing at a better rate. The look of my body started to change faster. I started getting a more mature look. I started getting a rounder look. But it was unfortunately after numerous bad injuries, reconstructive surgery on my bicep, numerous dislocations to my shoulder, that if I didn't have... For all we know, I may still be competing right now, guys, and there may not even be a Blackstone lab. So everything happens for a reason. Uh, perhaps all those bad injuries and all the crazy stuff I did when I was younger happened for a reason so I could learn 
from my mistakes and help all you guys not make those mistakes. What is the one thing, the first thing that you should do because it was simple and provided the most results? Best advice that I could give to any beginner, anybody starting out, get yourself a notebook and make it a composition level notebook because they just look cooler and they stay together better. (laughs) And write down everything. Keep a journal of everything you do. I would write down every day what I had for every meal, the vitamins that I took, what I did as far as training in the gym, and I was very specific with everything that I did. The reason for this is because I can go back and look at data, and I can compare data. It's no different than the way scientists figure out cures to cancer and things like that nowadays. It's, it's, it's the way that you figure your body out. And by collecting data, you have things that can help you avoid making mistakes. You can have things that you know worked that you can improve on. And it is, no matter how good you are, impossible to memorize all this stuff. You can't tell me what you did five years ago for chest day. You could maybe give me a roundabout answer, but if you go back through all my old journals, you could see on this date, 2007, I had a cold and I took some Sudafed. Maybe I thought the Sudafed dehydrated me and so I didn't get the best pump in my workout. Or you could look at something where I said, today I felt extra strong in the gym. So I decided to push myself a little harder. I hit a personal record on the bench press by doing 25 pounds more than I ever did. I was very excited about it. And then maybe you go two days forward and you see shoulders hurting very bad today. Think perhaps I hurt myself doing doing that record bench press. Possibly should not have done that. Now I can go back and refer to these things and learn from my mistakes. And I can also learn from the things that I did right. And many of these old journals I still have. And and many of the things that I learned and practiced, I utilize with the answers that I give you guys today. So to be the best that you can be, get yourself a journal and keep notes and data on everything so you have references. And that's all it is. It's just a reference to work from because different people are always going to give you different answers and different people are always going to get different results. You want to do what's best for you, not what's best for Ronnie Coleman, not what's best for me. You won't learn yourself, which is the beautiful thing about bodybuilding and fitness, unless you pay attention to yourself. And that is how I think we should close out the show today. All right. Yeah, that concludes our third weekly podcast for the Ask PJ Braun podcast. You guys can ask us additional questions every week at askpjbraun at blackstonelabs.com. You can hear the podcast over at SoundCloud, iTunes, and blackstonelabs.com. The audio of this podcast will be up every Saturday. You can also watch the video, which we record here every Monday on YouTube. Um, And we appreciate you guys listening to us, and uh, thank you for sending us your questions, and we'll see you all next week.